stand with me for the reading of the most known, quoted, posted, famous verse in all of Scripture, but I'm warning you today, if you think that you know it, if you think that you've heard it, if you think that you understand it, man, lay that down, and I want you to hear this like you're hearing it for the first time. I want you to experience this with a fresh set of ears. I want you to read this with a fresh set of eyes. I'm afraid that we've seen, that we've looked at it so much that we haven't seen it. I'm afraid we've listened to it so much that we haven't heard it. I'm afraid we've been exposed to it so much that we haven't experienced it. So for these next few moments, man, let's drop the pretenses. But let's put down our presuppositions. And let's just open our eyes. Let's open our ears. Let's open our mind. Let's open our heart. Let's open our very spirit to see what God wants to communicate to you today. Through this word. The book of John chapter 3 and verse 16 says this from the New King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Woo! Everything is for God. God is love, and love is for God. God begets God. God gives God. Those who believe get God. God saves us from God. And those that are saved from God, by God, live with God for all of eternity. Can you say amen?
But the thing is, we cannot change our infection by treating it like it's a condition. No, we need an intervention. But there is a cure. Somebody say there is a cure. There is a cure. But the thing is, if you don't get that cure, then your life will become septic with sin. And sin sepsis leads to spiritual death. Can you say amen? Come on. Sin sepsis. I just made that up for this sermon, baby. That's awesome. See, if you get infected with an infection and it runs through your blood, your blood, your blood turns septic. It means it starts yes. to kill your body itself. Same thing happens with sin. To tell you today that there is a cure. There is a cure. And it's better than any antibiotic. It's more powerful than Leviquin. It's more convenient than a Z-Pack. It's like one of them Rosepin and Prednisone shots they give you in your tail, but this ain't injected there. It's an injected in your heart for the sin that lies there. Can you say amen? Woo! See, that's what this thing is all about. Can I just preach this word today, man? Can I just preach today? Yes. Amen. And God is good. Oh, God. sin infection that you have in your life. But let me tell you, if you don't get your hands on this intervention, bad things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. If you don't get your hands on the cure to your infection, spiritual death is not too far away. We don't want that for anybody here. We don't want that for anybody here. Man, you've heard this verse 10,000 times. You've heard it. You've heard it spoken. You've seen it on signs at the baseball game. Tim Tebow painted it under his eyes and broke the internet one time. <laughs> Steve Austin put it on a t-shirt and got it into every young man's life at the 90s. It's out there, and you know it. And no, most of you probably know it by heart. But if you don't, that's probably better for you for today. Because you know who the hardest people to teach things to is? Yes, the hardest people to teach things to are the ones that already know it all. Right? You see, what you have to do is you have to break it down. Yes. What's already there before you can build up what needs to be there. Yes. And that takes a lot of time. We spend a lot of time breaking down the religiosity of folks so we can introduce them to the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Right. My buddy who's a doctor says that WebMD is the worst thing that ever happened to medicine. <laughs> he says that how are you supposed to diagnose somebody when they already know everything that's wrong with them? Right. And how are you supposed to treat somebody when they know more about the treatment than you do? Than you do? <laughs> I had a kid on my football team a couple of years ago. Strong kid, great player, loved this kid, kept lining up wrong. Every play, like I'm trying to teach them something. And he lines up wrong, and I'm correcting him. I'm like, nice, get your foot over. No, line up here. No, get there. What are you doing? Every play, I have to correct it. Every play, I'm having to get him in the right spot. And finally, I just stop, blew my little whistle, and stop practice. Dude, what are you doing? Well, I went to a football camp, and at the football camp that I went to, they told us that you're supposed to line up like this right here. And I was like, where's the football camp? <laughs> Do you see any of the people from your football camp? Are they here? Are you there? No. Then stop doing that and do what I'm telling you to do. That's not the way we do it here. So stop doing that and do this. It's not going to work for our formation. That's what you're. And the crazy part is, though, is I've got 11 other kids on the team that are standing there like sponges ready to soak in when I'm trying to teach them. But I'm having to waste all this time having a like 20 minute argument with a 12 year old. <laughs> I had to line up. They can do it. 
I think that's why Jesus used a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors to change the world <laughs> instead of a bunch of church people. Because they would just do what he told them to do instead of doing what they thought they Sometimes we know too much. Sometimes we know too much. I mean, I, I study the scriptures every day of my life. Every day. I mean, I crack the, open the Bible. The first thing I do in the morning. And I read the Bible every day. I study it every day. I'm in my work all the time, constantly. And let me tell you how much that I have learned about the scriptures. I know just enough about the Holy Scripture to know that I don't know very much about the Holy Scripture. I know just, a much about, just enough about the Bible to let me know I need to learn a lot more about the Bible, okay? What frustrates me to know in when I meet folks that are like, I know everything about the Bible. <laughs> no, you don't. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in this chapter with Nicodemus. Now, let me, I'm just going to read this scripture. I, I'm just going to read this scripture all the way through. You just got to bear with me. You don't have to stand up or none. Just, just receive it. You know, because it, it's, as powerful as a preacher can be, and, and, and as cool as it is to be able to, to you know, uh, exegete this scripture and, and explain it to everyone and use it to inspire, there, there's more power in these pages than in the voice of any preacher that you could ever hear in your life. Do you understand that? I mean, there's more power in these pages than me or, or Brent could ever bring to life. There's more power in these pages than T.D. Jakes or Charles Spurgeon could ever bring. I mean, there's more power in these pages just by reading what's here than any preacher could ever have. So, so if you would, just bear with me. As I just, I'm just going to read these 21 verses in John chapter 3 real quick. So just, just hear. Just, just hear this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to see him, right? Came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But see, God's not with Jesus. God's actually with Nicodemus right now. Did you hear what I'm saying? God's not with Jesus. God is Jesus. See, see, he's missing the point. See, see, he thinks that God is supplying this power for Jesus to be able to do these miracles. What he doesn't understand is, is that he's in the presence of God right here, right now. See, he knows too much about God to know when he sees God. Yeah. Hold on to that. Yeah. Jesus answered him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born again? <laughs> Dude, if I was Jesus, I'd have smacked his jaws. <laughs> I mean, that's a smart aleck comment. Let's call it what right. it is. That's a smart aleck comment. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. I'd smack the taste out of his mouth. <laughs> Shut up. Luckily, Jesus is a lot more patient than me. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh... And that is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell where it goes, or where it comes from, and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered him, and answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Later he'll say of the Pharisees, When the blind lead a blind, everyone falls in a pit. <laughs> Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify to what we have seen. You do not receive our witness. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how in the world are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? I added that in the world. It doesn't say that. That's just, my, that's just how I would have said it. Sorry. Verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, this is, these next three verses are where we're going to stay today, okay? So these next three verses are huge. So walk with me through this. I'm sweating my cardio. Okay. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love the darkness their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be seen clearly because they have been done in God. Can you say amen? amen. See, Nick is a Pharisee. Nick thinks that he knows everything about God. And he knows so much about God that he can't see God even though he's looking in the face of God. He knows so much about God that he can't hear the voice of God even though he's sitting there talking to God. See, poor Nick, man, bless his heart. He thinks that his works can earn him a close relationship with God. He thinks that if he does what he's supposed to do, he can get close to God. That if he goes to the synagogue when he's supposed to go to the synagogue, that he can get close to God. That if he ties 10% off everything that he has, that he can get close to God. That if he prays when he's supposed to pray and puts his phylactery where he's supposed to put his phylactery, does all the things that he's supposed to do, that he can get close to God. Bless his heart. But he wants to work. He wants to earn it. He's been taught that he's got to earn his place with God. But I'm here to tell you today that there's nothing that you can ever do to earn the love of God. There's nothing that you can ever do to earn your place with God. And there's some ministries out here that are teaching this still today. That you've got to do a certain thing. That you've got to, got to do so much and check off so many boxes and complete so many tasks. And then maybe you'll have done enough to earn the love of God. And bless their hearts. They'll work themselves to death and they'll never get it. Because see, this is something that you can't earn. This is something that's so valuable that there's no way in our human condition... That we could ever earn enough to be able to purchase the cure as an intervention, intervention for our infection. See, there's no amount of insurance that we could ever have that could pay the fee. See, there's no amount of works that we could ever do that we could go and barter and trade it for the cure. There's nothing that we can do to cure our sin infection on our own. We keep trying to fix the condition. We keep trying to fix the condition. But I'm telling you, it's like taking a cough drop and we should be on an IV. Man, I mean, it's like putting some neosporin on it when that whole arm needs to be cut off. You know what I'm saying? There's no way that we can fix the infection ourselves. We need a cure. We need a cure. And even though we're alive on the flesh, man, without Jesus, we're dead on the inside. Man, we're all septic with sin. We've got an infection that we can't take care of on our own. And then it doesn't matter our condition. What we've got to focus on is the infection. And you know how many it takes for us to get infected? Just one. Just one. 
See, some people feel like that they can earn their way to God because they haven't done that much wrong. So if they do enough good, surely they can overburden the bad, and then God will receive them in. But no, that's not how it works, is it yet? No, it's not how it works. And then some folks, bless their heart, they feel like that they've done so much wrong that there's no way that they could ever earn redemption. They've done so much wrong. They've broken so many rules. They've been in so much trouble. They've gone the wrong way so many, so many times that there's no way they could ever make up for it. There's no way that they could ever earn their way in. There's no way they could get close to God because they've just done too much wrong. And both those stances are equally mistaken. And neither one of them understand the verse that I came to preach to you today. For God so loved. God so loved. And, and some theologians argue whether that so is talking about the extent of God's love or the method of God's love. I'm here to tell you today that that so is both. It's both the heights and depths of God's love and the action of God's love. And that's why Jesus is there talking to Nicodemus in the middle of the night trying to get him to understand that his works will never gain him access to the kingdom of God. That, that, that there's nothing that he can ever do to earn the love of God. That nothing he can ever do will make God love him more. And nothing he can ever do can make, him, make God love him less. God loves because it's God's nature to love. God loves because it's God's essence to love. God loves because, as it says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And we don't get it. And we don't get it. When we fall on our face over and over and over, trying to get there or trying to get away from it, what I want you to understand is that the love of God, man, is everything. It's all about God, man. This whole book is about God. Everything that we are is about God, man. He does it all. What we have to do is receive the love of God that's being poured out on us over and over and over again. And Jesus is trying to communicate this to Nicodemus. He needs him to understand. He wants him to understand. You know, what's born of flesh is flesh, man. What's born of spirit is spirit. And the only way you can be born again, man, is, is that this old earthly, fleshly life's got to die. And then you come alive in the spirit. See, the reason when we're born again is because we've never really truly been alive until we experience the power of the Holy Spirit given to us through Jesus Christ. You may feel like you're alive, but if you don't know Jesus is Savior, you're dead in the spirit right now. The walking, talking dead. That's it. That's it. We're not alive. We're not alive. We may feel alive. We may look alive. But in truth, unless we know Jesus, unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, man, we're not alive. And so this is to bring it out. This is to get the attention of the world and make them understand Understand just what the love of God looks like, what it's capable of, and what it truly is. And so Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he takes him back to the Old Testament. Takes him back to the Old Testament to something that hopefully he can understand. And this may not mean a lot to some folks, but it's about to. In verse 14, Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lit, or the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not, should not perish but have eternal life. Just as the serpent, most lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So now Jesus is comparing himself to a snake. So just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and so the son of man, so Jesus Christ has to be lifted up. And, and just as the serpent became a cure for 
the children of Israel in the wilderness, and so now Jesus is going to become, become a cure for us? Let me give you some insight. We're going to go back to this event in the book of Numbers, in chapter 21 in the Old Testament. <coughs> the children of Israel have been set free from their slavery, their bondage in Egypt. That just took a very short time for God to set them free from slavery in Egypt. He got them out of Egypt, but now he's got them in the wilderness. He's trying to get the Egypt out of them. Can you say amen? amen. And that's a much harder process. Because I mean, he can break the chains that bond us, but then he has to get rid of the infection that's in us. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> Numbers 21 says this, starting in verse 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? See, they didn't trust the journey. That's right. There is no bread or water. I disagree. <laughs> and we detest this food. I heard somebody say once that they wanted to eat the manna that came from God. I was like, no, you don't, dude. It's not good. And then the Lord sent poisonous snakes amongst the people. <laughs> and they bit them so that many Israelites died. And the people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone is bitten and looks at it, he'll recover. And so Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on the pole. And whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. <clears throat> we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. So we intercede with the Lord and have him take the snakes away from us. See, they don't get it. See, they're just asking God to fix their condition. What they don't understand is they have an infection. See, they didn't sin by speaking out against God and Moses. Their sin is in their heart. They are infected by sin. They're infected by their grumbling. They're infected by their pride. They're infected by their selfishness. They're infected by their lust. They're infected with sin. It's running through their veins. The, the speaking out is just a symptom of it, man. They're infected. And yet they cry out to God not to cure their infection, but to change their condition. They just want their, their condition corrected. They don't care about their infection. And how often do we do that to the Lord? How often do we cry out to God to fix our condition? And we forget to cry out to God to cure our infection. Amen. And we do the same thing for the people that we love around us in our lives. Too often, we cry out that God will fix their condition. And we forget to cry out to God that he might cure their infection. Because I'll guarantee you that's all that matters in the grand scheme of things. Conditions don't matter. All that matters is the infections are cured by the intervention that comes from God. And so he tells Moses, make a bronze snake sculpture, put it on a stick, lift it up high into the air. And whoever forgets about what's going on in their own life for a minute... And turns their gaze not to their wounds and not to their selves and not 
but to what I have raised up on this pole. If they'll put their gaze on it and they'll focus upon the glory of God that's going to be revealed to them by this and they'll be cured. And so, so hang real tight with me. So what was a curse? The snakes that came in and bit the people was a curse to them. And so what was a curse? What was a curse? Became the cure. And if they would just look upon what used to be cursed and see it for what it really is, if they would gaze upon the glory of God, then they would find a cure for their infection. The book of Galatians, in chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus says, just like the snake that was raised up in the wilderness. That if they gazed upon it, that they would be cured. Just like that, so I will become the curse. I'll become the curse. And when I'm raised up, all that would be willing to forget about looking at themselves, all that would move their focus off their own wounds and gaze upon me, I'll be the cure for their infection. I'll be the cure for the sin sepsis that is going to destroy them. If they would just gaze upon me. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him. Shall not perish, but have an everlasting life. For God so loved you that He gave you the cure for your infection. That whosoever God. God begets God. 
God gives God. Those that believe in God get God. God saves us from God. And those that are saved by God from God live with God for all of eternity. And all this really is for God. He, he spoke it all into existence. It all belongs to Him. God really is love. And all true love flows from Him. And every bit of love that happens in our universe really is for Him. And, and God begets God. It, that, that word begotten, some of your translation says one and only. It all means the same thing. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it best, man. He said rabbits beget rabbits and horses beget horses and humans beget horses. Humans beget humans. Not pieces of art or music. God begets only God. So God gives God. God gives us what only He could give us. Himself. He didn't send an incredibly powerful archangel. He didn't send an anointed human. He didn't send a shot with the cure in it. No, 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 no. He sent Himself. He sent Himself to pay the price we couldn't pay. He sent himself to do what we couldn't do. His only son. The essence of God. His only son. Now some shotgun wielding madman happened in here like they did in Texas and started shooting people. Man, I volunteer. And those of you that know me know it's true. Take me. Leave my people alone. Because whether you know it or not, I love you. Even if it's your very first time here and you ain't got a clue who I am, I love you in the Lord. Because he first loved me. I'd volunteer. But I wouldn't trade my son. Either one of them. Not for anybody. Not for anybody on the face of this earth would I trade either of my sons. Not for my wife, not for my mom, not for Whitney, not for my best friend over there, not for anybody, not my sons. And yet that's what he did for you. I need you to feel that today. You've heard it so many times that it doesn't contain the power that it once did. You've looked at it so many times that you don't see it anymore. I need you to experience it today. That's the kind of love God has for you. His perfect son in exchange for your life. Knowing that most people wouldn't respond. Knowing that it was wasted on most of us. And he did it anyway. Because that's the extent of his love and that's the method of his love. God gives you God. Man, when we're saved, we don't just become part of the kingdom. We, we, we don't just get a new name and a new eternity. No, no. God fills us with his Holy Spirit. He sends part of himself into us. The Holy Spirit of the living God dwells in us. 
gives himself to us to live in us and then live through us for all of eternity. What an incredible God that he is. God saves us from God. What did you think you were being saved from? Your sins? Your suffering? Sorry, no. The world? Who cares? The only thing that we need to be saved from is God. What we're being saved from is the wrath of God. What Jesus took upon himself so you didn't have to was the wrath of God. Man, Charles Spurgeon said it best. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. Not a drop and a ceasing, not a drag and a pause. He consumed it all. He drank the entirety of the cup of God's wrath so that we could drink from the cup of God's grace. God saves us from his own wrath by giving himself in our place so that we shall not perish. See, that's what that perishing is, is being able to receive time. Do you get that? I need you to feel the power of this verse. I need you to understand and experience it. And those saved by God live with God. And that's the promise of John 3.16. And that living with God doesn't have to start after our earthly bodies die. No, it can start right now. The living with God as part of God can start right now. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that death is gone. That our sin infection can be cured by the intervention of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. That our sin sepsis can be washed away by the power of the Holy Spirit as it comes into our life and makes us whole.